This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. It is Danny and Gallant. Thursday, the Seahawks preparing for their second day of practice. We talked to Damian Lewis, rookie guard last year who's moving from the right side to the left side. He described Gabe Jackson as a big dude. Hmm. And when you're as big as Damian Lewis is, as big and strong as Damian Lewis is, and you kind of marvel at the big dude, you know he's significant. We'll get to how he might factor indirectly into one of the questions. Talk to Jerry DePoto about the trades. Everybody kind of keeping their eyes out. Um, you're seeing some some lesser-level trades. It's clear the Washington Nationals are sellers. Mm-hmm. Saw that Brad Hand, Brad Hand dealt from Washington to Toronto, which is they're kind of even in a tougher situation than the Mariners because their record is worse than Seattle's. They had higher expectations, especially having made the playoffs a year ago. That's why they signed Springer. How, and, uh, how much... Yeah, how much do you add here at the at the trade deadline? Keeping an ear out, the the latest on the Mariners, John Paul Morosi, saying they were interested in pursuing uh, Jose Barrios, the starter for the Minnesota Twins. That hadn't really gone anywhere. Barrios has one year left on his deal after this one. Paul, you've been around Pete Carroll for two years now. Have you learned to take his comments with the approach? Have you learned to parse Pete, do you think, in his pronouncements of unrelenting optimism? I'm getting better. I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to quite have the PhD that, that you have, but I feel like I'm getting a lot better with being able to interpret certain things. And there were certain moments yesterday where if you compare and contrast, you can kind of get a read for where things might be with specific players and their future with this team started training camp pete is in top salesman mode he is he he is telling you the rosiest sunshiniest picture possible of what's going to happen over the next month what's going to happen over the next five months where this season's going to go it is not just like gumdrops and rainbows this is here is the best vision possible for what we hope so what i want to ask is are you buying it or not Okay. We're going to go through a couple of different scenarios where he outlined his his hopeful his his brightest hope for specific positions and players. I'm going to ask, are you buying this or not? We start at the running back position. Pete is hyped. Chris Carson is back. You've got DJ Dallas, Travis Homer not practicing yet, but we'll see. He's on. He's got a calf injury. We should see him. And Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny getting the hype job yesterday. Pete Carroll trying to fire up the hype train behind the former first-round pick. The running back spot with, with Penny coming back is, is a really exciting place. Uh, Rashad came back at 225. He looks great. Um, he, he worked out here all throughout the offseason, and it really paid off. Best he's looked uh, since we've seen him. Are you buying it? It's hopeful. That's hopeful, Pete. That's, that's, really? That's hopeful, Pete. You th- you're buying it. You're 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 buying your you're getting a ticket on the Rashad Penny Express. No, I'm buying his optimism. I I am not buying. I I am not buying though that Rashad Penny's going to be able to do that. You know that oh. that's that's what so, I'm. So you're at. not buying it. No, you're I'm not, not. Like that's a Pete's in his best salesman mode, and Paul Gallant saying that's nice and everything, but hard pass. Yeah, look, he didn't get back last season. Why didn't he get back last season? I know he suffered the injury late in 2019, but at the same time, like. You got to see something from him at the end of the year, and they were pretty quick to saying, "All right, this isn't going to work. We're going to put him back off on on the on the sidelines 
for the rest of the season. We're going to keep going with Carlos Hyde. Look, I, I think that they know that best-case scenario for them this year, both of these guys have to work out because you can't put all of the load on Chris Carson. You want to have Chris Carson at his best for the, for, for 17 games. Now you get an extra game and for the playoffs. But I, I think it's wishful thinking with Rashad Penny. How about you? I think I'm buying this one. Mm. I think I'm buying that Rashad Penny is going to be you're not going to have as many carries. He's, he's going to get probably one out of every he, – he'll get one out of every four carries that you hand off this season. Factor in, I, I think that Penny will have twice, two to three times – or two, one half to a third the carries that Chris Carson ends up with. But I think he's going to be – I think he's going to have some big moments. I, I do. Pete's had a weird fixation with Penny's weight. And maybe it's not weird at all. Maybe weight has been an issue. This would be the second time we've heard that in the best shape of his career for Penny. Like That's, it's the it's the second this is the second time because when he came back after his rookie year and during his rookie season, Pete had mentioned a couple of times about how big he looked. We talked a lot about the diet changes he made. We talked a lot about how much quicker he was and how much better he looked. So this is the second time we're getting the best shape of his life car wash treatment for Rashad Penny, which is not promising. Yeah, that's usually dangerous. I mean, how many times do we do we get that storyline about Ezekiel Elliott? I think we've had that like five or six times over the course of his career. It's happened again. Yeah. He does He does look noticeably smaller. Ezekiel Elliott does. We'll see about Rashad Penny. I could see Rashad Penny scoring five to ten touchdowns. I could see Rashad Penny playing well enough that another team is interested in signing him or where even Seattle brings him back on a shorter-term deal after this year. If they want to run the football effectively, they're going to need two horses. And, I mean, that's the, I think, scary part about where they're at right now. He is really the only guy that you can look to as a second horse. Travis Homer is a third-down running back. And with DJ Dallas, we think that he's maybe also a third-down running back, just a more capable receiver than Homer. Getting a little bit of a news update. The Yankees' acquisition of Joey Gallo has become official. Just saw that on the MLB network. The Yankees are sending four prospects, including a couple of pretty pretty high-profile prospects, to the Rangers uh, in exchange for the outfielder DJ Gallo. You can participate in our Are You Buying It? Text in 710-710, the Mac and Jacks text line. Paul is out on the Rashad Penny hype. Next guy, Cody Barton. Are you buying this from Seattle's head coach, Pete Carroll? Cody Barton, he's competing for some fighting, fighting for playing time, and, and uh, I'm excited for him. He had a terrific year on special teams last year, and he's a really good ball player, and he's battling to beat the rotation and all that. How do you get from being a special teams player when that is the role that the coach is putting on you at the very beginning of that commentary, especially when it does feel like Daryl Taylor has already been essentially penned in as your Sam's side linebacker? I hear that, Danny, and I hear that he's probably the centerpiece of your special teams coverage units, but I don't think that that means much more about what he could bring to the table defensively. I don't see a path to him in your main linebacker rotation right now. Barring injury, right. I, 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 don't, I don't see a, a way for him to get there. And it doesn't mean that he's not going to be valuable because the odds of going through the entire season with all three of those linebackers healthy, especially if we're talking about Daryl Taylor, who has not played an NFL snap yet, did, did not get on the field in his, in his rookie season is there. I don't, I don't think strong side linebacker is a natural fit for Cody Barton, who I think is more of a weak side linebacker. 
or maybe a middle linebacker. I don't I don't think that that's a natural fit for him. So I'm I'm not buying the idea that he is going to be one of your starting linebackers this year unless there's an injury. Yeah, and you know, he did have some glimpses at the end of his rookie season that I I thought could translate into something, but last year last year he didn't really see them turn into anything more. And you know, there's nothing wrong with being a special teams player in this league. You do need to have guys that are aces on that side of the ball and you know, if that's what Cody Barton can develop into, great. But yeah, I think the the way the way that his body's built, Danny, doesn't he sort of look like a like a bigger safety? And isn't that kind of maybe someone that's perfect, ideal for coverage and running up and down the field, but also laying people out? I I, I feel like that type. He he looks exactly like your kind of special teams ace. Is it possible that Cody Barton is and his how the team feels about him is one of the reasons that KJ Wright's not here yet? Or that the mm. team has not felt compelled to move because that's lurking in the background here is that KJ is still out there and I I don't I don't have a great deal of clarity whether that is because his asking price or the opportunities that he, that he wants in playing time are something that Seattle hasn't gotten to yet or Seattle is is very much turning the page and going with younger dudes and saying hey until we see that they can't do it we're gonna we're gonna count on Jordan Brooks and Daryl Taylor and Cody Barton to round out our linebacking crew? That's a good question. Maybe at this point in time, KJ Wright is essentially just waiting for someone to get banged up and is under the impression that as soon as that happens, and there's a good chance it happens, it's a a violent position, that they will be on the phone to call him right away. Because there has to have been some interest from other teams. And maybe he ultimately isn't as gung-ho about moving elsewhere as maybe you would have thought he would be after the season he just had. Or the other thing is he's not looking. He's looking to see if he can not have to take a pay cut or not have to take as steep a pay cut. Guys that were in KJ's boat are the ones that took took it absolutely in the shorts in, in the office. Guys that were at approaching or past 30 who were good veterans are the guys that got priced out of the market in a year where the salary cap slid backward that that was that's absolutely a fact so he is waiting there's a number of other guys golden tate is the number one uh, another one of those players is somebody who hasn't said he's not interested in playing but doesn't have a spot yet you can continue texting 710 710 now here comes the sales job along competition along the offensive line brock heward told us this morning he feels really good about one through five it's six that he has a question about. If there's if he's concerned about a weak link on this offensive line, it's their depth. Pete actually said that he he thinks that they've got good competition going on. Are you buying what Pete says about his offensive line here? Kyle Fuller's ready to battle with, with Posick, and uh, and Cedric uh, Abouye is, is ready to battle with, with, with Brandon at, right, at the right side. We've got some young young inside guys that are battling. Simmons is, is, is going to battle, and Philip Haynes looks really good, by far the best he's looked. He's in great shape uh, right now, so he'll, he'll have a chance to battle for, you know, for how much they can play. Mm. Are you buying it? I don't know about that one. How about you? I, I'm, I'm hearing that, and I, I mean... Are, are we really Phil Haynes? Yeah, Phil Haynes doesn't tickle you. No, not really. I mean, look, you 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 like that there are some guys that you feel good about depth wise, at least that the head coach is talking about in that spot because that's probably the most dangerous position on the team as far as first off just health, but second off what happens when one of these guys goes down. But yeah, Philip Haynes. I mean, you know, we we what have, what have we seen from a guy like him to this point to make you feel like that's going to be the case come regular season and off season's one thing, but you know, when this actual action begins, it's an entirely different story. Cedric Obwehi, 
behind Brandon Shell. Brandon Shell, low key, hit the injuries that he suffered in the second half of the year might have been one of the huge stumbling blocks where this oh, offensive yeah. line, this offensive line went from being surprising and oh my gosh, there this is much better to oh they, they we're not getting that they're not allowed and pass protection did become more of a problem. Now maybe that was Aaron Donald and playing him three times over your final what nine regular season games of the year. It also might have been the inavailability at times or the injury to Brandon Shell. I, I think that was probably the biggest thing. Was he ever 100% the rest of the way? And when Obwehi came in, it, it just did not look good. And there's nothing wrong with being a swing tackle in this league. You know, it's a very difficult position. That's, I think, all he is. And, you know, Phil Haynes is a backup, too. You hope that those guys can really show that they have the ability to step in and this offensive line won't take a massive step back. But, yeah, I'm, I, I, I feel like it's going to take a next cast of characters to feel any differently about the offensive line depth that you have, you know, like new faces. Cause I think the faces that you have, you're pretty sure about who they are as a player in this league. It's Danny and Gallant. We will continue our coverage from Seahawks training camp. That coverage is sponsored by Precore home fitness right now. It is time for us to go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. Today's an exceptional day. You really loaded up for that one. I did. I like that. Lots of oxygen into the lungs. Yes. Expelled out with gusto. (laughs) Well, yesterday Aaron Rodgers spoke with the media. I'm not sure if we learned a lot, but uh, we do have this cut here where he definitely kept some receipts. Just the fact that we didn't retain uh, a number of uh, players that I felt like were core players to our foundation, our locker room, high character guys. I'm talking about Charles Woodson, Jordy Nelson, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, James Jones, John Kuhn, Brett Good, TJ Lang, Brian Balaga, Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde, guys who were you know exceptional players for us, but great locker room guys, high character guys. Many of them who weren't offered a contract at all or were extremely low-balled or were, you know, maybe in my opinion, not uh, given the respect on the way out that guys of their status and stature and high character deserved. Dude, everybody. You know what, man? That's lame by him because that team stayed good. Like, you can do that. You can do that if your team falls off. You can do that and say, oh, we screwed up and should have kept these guys. That team stayed good. His team stayed good. You know part of the reason that they have stayed good? Because they didn't overpay for older dudes. They let other people sign those contracts. That is, he's, he, it's pandering. It's pandering to the fans because nobody likes to see their favorite players leave. But in the NFL, not re-signing people's favorite players is the best way to stay good. What I like about that answer, though, is that he put names out there and we can evaluate them all on an individual basis. And that also, I feel like that kind of transparency, it's not necessarily good for Aaron Rodgers there, right? I mean, you can you can evaluate every single one of those. And you're right in that it is a bit pandering. I mean, what fan is going to say, uh, wait oh, a I'm second. Glad we, I'm glad we didn't re-sign Charles Woods. Yeah, yeah. Is there a, pa- hey, is there a Packer that fan? Guy. That, right. Is there a Packer fan that would have, do you think re-signing Charles Woodson? Would have, would have won the Packers more games, that that's what's kept them from winning another no, Super Bowl? Is that I, they have it. I hate him. I'm a Wisconsin fan. Go Badgers. You know, like, Come it, on. yeah, there, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that front. There is an air there of everyone needs to be treated like a prince or a princess in this league. 
maybe they should be treated better. This league is very cutthroat. But the cutthroat has worked for Green Bay, which is a team that, as Aaron Rodgers would say later on in the press conference, located in the middle of nowhere. And if you want people to come there, you're going to have to make tough decisions to maintain what has been arguably the most consistent team in the NFL for the past 30 years. Is this a sneak preview of what would happen with Russell Wilson next season? If the Seahawks don't win, if they don't get to the NFC Championship game or don't get to the Super Bowl this year? Because clearly Aaron Rodgers has held all his feelings in check for the past 12 months, and they're all coming spilling out right now. Clearly Russell Wilson has some feelings about the direction. Is this a sneak preview? I don't think Russ lets anybody in, and I don't think Russ is going to let us in on that. So I don't think so. I think think that if there is an awkward game of chicken played between the Seahawks and Russ— Russ is going to be exceptionally coy, as he always is. In other drama that I feel like goes a little bit under the radar, Saints head coach Sean Payton is not happy with the timing of Michael Thomas getting surgery on an ankle injury. He waited until June, and he says, quote, well, look, it appears we're going to have to spend some time without him. It's disappointing, and we'll work through it with the other players that are here. But the surgery took place, and obviously we would have liked that to happen earlier than later. And quite honestly, it should have. Let's walk through the Saints (laughs) offseason. Because that's just one of many, many bad moments for them. I mean, their punt returner was arrested this offseason, Deontay Harris. Drew Brees retired. You have now this with Michael Thomas, who didn't play much of last year. There are many other ones. I actually had a list in front of me, and it was a long list of all of the crap that's gone wrong for the Saints this offseason. They're going to stink this year, I think. I feel like if we're going to make a prediction for who has the biggest fallback, Danny, I know you think that the Bucks are going to take a step back. I think the Saints are about to fall off a cliff. This has been a catastrophic offseason for them in just terms of a lot of changes. And, I mean, they're lucky as it is that their salary cap situation <laughs> didn't cause them to actually foreclose the franchise because they were, what, $100 million in debt or so going into the offseason. Now, <laughs> let me just say this. We realized something weird was going on with Thomas last year, right? Yeah, we did. Did He he got suspended for a game mm-hmm. f- by his team for fighting with a dude in practice, right? The, the, the Saints cornerback that gets in fights with everybody. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Right? Yeah. Like, that happened. And then there was the weird thing about how he appeared to be not healthy for an extended period of time. Marshawn Thomas might be he Thomas might be on thin ice. Yeah, he should with be. them because this seems like somebody who thinks that he wasn't accurately diagnosed with the injury. That's that, that's my read on what what happened here is he believes that the team has fumbled it when it came to diagnosing the the injury last year, and so he's like, I'm not in a hurry to get s- surgery because you guys had me play through this last year. It's. I kind of like it because I think I think Peyton's smug, and I think I think I think he's he also after the Beastquake game. Here's what here's one of those moments where you you think that you see somebody for clearly who he is. So that the Saints are the defending Super Bowl champions. They lose in that game. Hasselback plays awesome. Hasselback that was one of the best games that Hasselback's ever played. Understated and lost in that. Yes, Marshawn's touchdown run was one of the all time great touchdowns run. Hasselback was unbelievable that game in his final game at home. After that game. 
Sean Payton tried to run over one of the Seattle Times photographers. And I know because I talked to the photographer who saw Payton trying to do it, has pictures of it, and you see Sean Payton's eyes look at the photographer as he's jogging off the field. It was one of those things where he's he's kind of trying to initiate. If you've ever been on a, a in, in a scrum situation like that, one guy's running, like you can try and avoid contact or you can try and try and knock someone over. I've always thought he's a chump because of that. I would too. Like and that's like I'm I'm mad my team lost and I'm gonna take it out on somebody who's out here trying to do his job. Is any coach more overrated? Seven and nine, seven and nine. How many seven and nine seasons has Sean Payton? He's had, had a lot of losing records. Playing a he's, dome. Had, he's had he's had more losing records than Mike McCarthy, and they won the same amount of Super Bowls. And McCarthy got fired. Uh-huh. And uh, also, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't the wasn't the Saints Super Bowl before the Packers Super Bowl the year before? Yeah, it was. So it's even longer dry spell without a Super Bowl, and you've got all sorts of playoff choke jobs to like Kirk Cousins. <laughs> well, you know that the NFL was stacked against him. Yeah, yeah. The well, league's, the league's most second second most persecuted fan base missed PI calls, bounty gates. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Honestly, to this point, they might they might have even they might have even pulled even with New England on that front <laughs> as far as the most persecuted fan base. Yet it seems that New England's fans are more mad, which is always puzzling to me because they've won more. It's a Boston thing, and you know, was 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 it really worth declaring independence over tea? I mean, think about how mad you have to be. Oh, we can't get our tea. Let's throw all the boxes in the water. They're just mad all the time. That's why I am who I am. It's Danny and Gallant. We're going to get back to the Seahawks training camp and also tell you what to expect coming from the Mariners as we approach the trade deadline. That's all ahead. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I feel like things are more unsettled for the Mariners right now than the Seahawks. And maybe that's understandable because you've got a Mariners team that's had been better than expected. Played its way into the conversation for the playoffs to the point where they can be buyers at the trade deadline. And the Seahawks have opened the season with relatively little drama. We have questions about extensions for three different players, but it sounds like the Seahawks are fairly confident a deal will get done with Jamal Adams. Then you'll have Dwayne Brown, possibly Quandre Diggs. What do you find is top of your mind this morning about Seattle sports, Paul? Well, you know, I, I want to shift into just nonstop Seahawks talk. Yeah. Football's my favorite sport. The NFL's my favorite league. It's hard to just move into that when there's this awkward air hanging over the Mariners, isn't it? I mean, we're not sure what the heck's going to happen over the next, the trade deadline's tomorrow at 1 o'clock, so I guess if I'm doing some radio math right now, 27 and a half hours away from the deadline, in the back of my mind, I do feel like something has to happen to sort of I agree with you. salvage the clubhouse, if you will, not necessarily for, you know... Just the short term. It's more to just reinforce to them that, hey, this this team is going in the right direction. And I, no matter how Jerry, who I'm glad came on with us, because obviously, you know, he's got a lot of stuff on his mind, not just with the clubhouse, but trying to get that extra deal done. No matter how Jerry's going to explain to us about Abraham Toro being good for this team going forward and Tyler Anderson being good for this team the rest of the way, 
that's tough to sell to anyone who's listening, and that's tough to sell to anyone who's in that clubhouse. And I can understand why there's a lot of frustration after the fact. You know, when we talk with Jerry, we, we do, I feel like, what we can to get the most out of him. And I, what we did get from him was that he, as you said so astutely, is saying, look, this, is, this has always been the plan. I, I, I know what I'm doing here. But it's hard, I think, for a lot of people. And I, I understand this. I, I really do. Like, I think that, like you, I don't mind the trade as much as everyone else does. But I, I understand the, the problems with it. But I, I, I think he's having a difficult time with those feelings. I think those feelings are warranted, even if Jerry's maybe not exactly understanding them and it wants everyone to feel like he's in control here. Well, I, th- I think Jerry's perspective is I understand why they're mad and I'm going to give him room to be mad. Anybody feels that way, that's fine. But if you say that this came out of left field and I yanked the rug out from under you, you haven't been listening. You haven't been watching what we do. And yeah, you might be mad, but look at the Austin Nola trade last year and some people felt the same way. And you came out of that deal with Ty France, Taylor Trammell, who hasn't really hit at the big league level yet, but I don't think anybody's ready to give up on him or say he's not... Luis Torrens, who has been on fire recently, and Nola's been hurt, so it's not a f- super straightforward, fair comparison. But man, the, you do that trade ten times out of ten, don't you? Like if you if you get back, if you if, if I gave you a hot tub time machine, you pull. And Jerry basically said, "I think we're going to feel the same way about this deal a year from now. I, I think people are going to feel the same way about Abraham Toro and Joe Smith a year from now as we feel about that trade." So. But I also feel, and I am anxious to see what happens next here and see if they can make another addition because I think they've played themselves to the point where you talk about, okay, what what gets you over the hump and into the playoffs? If not this year, then next year. And the answer to that is pretty clear in my mind. It's starting pitching. Yep. It, it, it's, it's, it's starting pitching. You're going to need more arms here. And not just, you know, obviously for the, for the rest of the season, you need a better starting pitcher, I think, than Tyler Anderson. But also for, yes, the... The long term, there should be some sense of MacGyvering this thing a little bit longer to see if they actually can make a playoff push. I I think it is both for the clubhouse and for the people who have been watching this team for a long period of time. You can you can say that you're going in the right direction, and honestly, I do feel like they are. But again, like when you're in this spot and all of a sudden you make a move like this, I understand the rash reactions. I do. I feel like the trade makes sense, though. And, yeah, it's, it's navigating that right now that I think is going to be really difficult for this organization. It's, it's a difficult place to be put in, and I think we can both look at it rationally, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's not the same way for everybody else. There are opportunities here to give yourself somebody who maybe has that kind of ace potential that you don't necessarily have, at least definitively right now. You know, Logan Gilbert's still working towards them. Those youngsters, uh, Emerson Hancock and George Kirby, are a long ways away. I'm on board with Jerry. I, I, w- I want to make that very like crystal clear. I'm on board with Jerry and his planning. Here's why. In 2019, when they made this change, at the end of the 2018 season, and they don't get in, and they decide, okay, you know what? We're going to get old really quick here if we don't make trades. And they move. They don't re-sign Nelson Cruz. They trade Robinson Cano. That Felix Hernandez is, is, is taking a step forward, and hey, we don't know what's going to happen at the end of this. They decide that they're going to take the step back. The entire premise of that was, we're not competing to get into the playoffs. 
we're not competing to get into the playoffs in the short term. And okay, we we we're we're competing to be a division winning team. We're competing to be, and if that's a couple years down the road, and we don't think this is going to be a full teardown six year process like the Astros went through. But our priority is becoming a great team that can win a championship, not a team that we hope can squeak into the playoffs and we marginally improve. Doesn't Abraham Toro's addition fit with that mo? Doesn't that if you held on to Graveman because he means so much to this team, and we love the emotional makeup of him, and he's a rock solid person. If you keep him because you don't want to give that, isn't that trying to squeak into the playoffs? Isn't that trying to hey, we, we if we if things go right and we get this mojo going and we're able to do this? Not only that, are you going to resign him in the offseason? Because right. he's playing his pitching his way to a huge raise. Mm-hmm. And if if you don't resign him, aren't all the people that are mad right now going to be mad about that too? Aren't they going to be like, oh my gosh, you don't reward the same? Like at some point, that's going to hit it. And instead, he made a trade that he thinks fits in with what? Trying to win a title. Trying to become a championship contending team. I, for that reason, that's why what Jerry says makes sense to me. You can't be so desperate that you settle. And and that's what you don't would be settle doing. for relevance. Like we want right. the whole idea was be great, right? Yeah. Don't settle for hey, if we if we do if everything plays just right here, we can get a wild card. That's not the plan. The magic of that game on Monday night it makes everything different. And you know, a couple of textures have brought it up that, that the timing has changed it. And, and be honest with yourself right now, if you are angry, if the if that game doesn't happen, if they get swept. This is this is different. And, you know, going back a couple of weeks, we, we did list the guys that would probably be the ones that make the most sense to trade. I, I had Graveman at the top of that list. I, I had Graveman there, too. Graveman was one. Luis Torrens was two. Yeah. And and I, I also had on that list, I, I went further with, with Jake Fraley and uh, um, you mentioned Torrens. Some of the other guys, you're like, is this really going to continue? Really? Are you sure about that? So that's why I'm looking at it with a slightly different kind of lens here. Um, they do have to do something. And, I agree with that. And you know, you got to do something to help. You can't you can't come out of the trade deadline a worse team in 2021 than you went into it with. And I'd be more willing to pull out the knives, you know, next week if nothing's done. But we got to wait until one o'clock tomorrow. I have faith something will get done. From what I've seen over two years. They're making the steps that they need to. And they're doing it, as you mentioned the Houston comparison, they're doing it at a much quicker pace than that franchise did. And as someone who sat through that crap, I would just say have a, have a little more faith, which is obviously much easier asked for than given. It is Danny and Gallant. We're going to be raising flags. That comes up next. From the pocket. And flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 9.45 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. It is that time where we summarize everything we've just gone through. Salutations. Disputations. Dispensations. Dissertations? D- DJ, would you like to go here? Raise, throw, pick up a flag? Yes, I'd like to raise a flag to Seahawks offensive guard Damian Lewis, who, of course, joined us uh, earlier today at 745. If you missed that, catch it on the podcast, 710sports.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be in end of hour one. 
But, Danny, you asked Damian Lewis, there aren't really any stats that we can point to with offensive linemen to really show like how well they're performing unless you really want to read the articles. Um, but Damian Lewis had this to say when you asked him, what does he enjoy the most about being an offensive lineman? Actually, I enjoy it all. You know, scoring takedown, running takedown. Long I'm taking care of my men, you know, blocking them, putting them in the ground. I'm jumping up, having fun, you know, going to celebrate with my teammates and, you know, enjoy the moment. I love that put him in the ground that he has a mentality putting people in the ground when he's blocking for his quarterback or for his running back it really reminds you of when dj fluker was here a couple years ago and when talking about indomitian sue he said i'll take him to the water which was an awesome line that we played on this station multiple times so shout out to damian lewis he's making a transition to left guard he had a promising rookie season and hopefully uh that continues this season murder he talking about murder i'm gonna put him in the ground you, you, Not put him on the ground. Put him in the ground. Put him in the ground. Six yeah. Feet under. Yeah, I, I also, like that too. I also, I also appreciate. I think we should use more MMA lexicon, like more MMA vocabulary when it comes to fights. Like, oh, he absolutely starched him. Like that's a good one. I love that. Just starched him. You're telling me he's gonna starch it? Oh, he was starched on that one. Like a crispy starched shirt. Yeah. Mm. No good. No good. Starch. Me- meeting on meeting on deaf ears sounds sounds like it's a bad suggestion by me. Sometimes starch is a little Got bit clipped. too much, though. It doesn't feel Got that comfortable. Plat a plat plat plat. I like getting clipped. Steamrolled. Smashed. Yeah. Crushed. Smashed. Smash definitely happens. Just smash him. Got to hold him down on the ground and smash him. Bam! 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 I would like to raise a flag to Suni Lee, gymnast from the Minnesota area. She won the all-around gold. I hope that's not a spoiler for anybody, but it's just awesome. She's got a fantastic story. She steps up, wins the all-around gold medal in women's gymnastics at the US, the, the, at, for the U.S. Olympic team at the Olympic Games. She's got an awesome story if anybody saw the presentation last night. Her father, um, who built her a balance beam to help her train when she was younger, built her a balance beam. Family is Hmong which is a Southeastern Southeastern Asian ethnicity. Move here. There's a large Hmong population up in Minnesota. He suffered a life-altering accident, um, fell off a building and and ended up paralyzed from the waist down. And hearing that story and then seeing her family's reaction and seeing her reaction today was so cool. Like, I, I know, I know it's easy to get cynical about the Olympics, how much money gets involved, what happens in cities, all of the different things, the bidding process and all of that stuff. There are some incredible athletes who get a shot once every four years to shine. In sports that are really difficult and demanding and are really important for once every four years. And seeing her have that triumph and the impact it made on her family, like, I, yeah, I got a little choked up seeing it. It was really cool. That's the part about the Olympics that I, I think separates it from professional sports it's unfortunate that they are separated from professional sports for a lot of the athletes involved of course but you you see stories of families that put so much time and effort into helping their child try to get to this seemingly unachievable dream i mean you're talking about being one of the best of the best in your country and one that has almost 400 million people 
that is definitely not easy. And to see the family along with whatever athlete is able to finally make happen happen, in addition to whatever hardships that family might have gone through, I think you feel a little bit more with the Olympics. I'd also say this. Usually when a U.S. Olympian wins a gold medal in women's gymnastics, that's the end of their amateur career, right? Like you have to you have to go and cash in off of that. Well, with name, image, and likeness, with that being allowed, Suni Lee is an incoming freshman at Auburn. Good for and her. That's, that's the plan. So she in, in the past, hey, she's not competing in college gymnastics because she's going to go be on Wheaties covers and make money that way. Well, she can now be on Wheaties covers and still... And still compete in college athletics, so we'll see how that pans out. So anti-American and anti-capitalist, the way that the NCAA is operated. Uh-huh. Yes. I mean, so please explain to me why all of the free market enthusiasts tend to like the way the NCAA runs things. As, as a free market enthusiast, Danny, it boggles my mind. I, I don't get how people don't see that. Oh, it's a free education. Well, yep. we all know colleges are just complete, like, cheap scam artists, right? Like, they're they're giving you something. Look how ridiculous tuition is now. And then these same institutions are keeping them from earning money to, I don't know, give literally right back to the college. It's nuts. Shout out to SUNY Lee. That was awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. What do you got, Paul? I'll raise a quick flag. I'm glad Aaron Rodgers said this. Here's Aaron Rodgers at his press conference. I'm not a victim here at all. I just want to reiterate that. Like, I've been paid a ton of money by this organization. I'm so thankful to be a starter here for my 14th season. Uh, Not many guys have the opportunity to do that. So I'm not – I don't feel like anything's been done to me. There is – it's a business. It's an incredible opportunity to play this game. Uh, It's a tough business too, though, and this is part of it. So I I totally get that point, and that's, that's not lost on me. That's why I'm just going to enjoy this season like I did last year, have the right perspective, and and then make decisions at the end of the season. There's a lot of things that I disagree with, with what Aaron Rodgers has done, how he has operated this offseason. But that first part, Danny, I think has made me really able to focus on what has driven me the most nuts about Aaron Rodgers. It's the people that are acting like he is some sort of victim. It's not even Aaron Rodgers. It is the people that are acting like the Packers have done nothing for him, which is just an asinine take. If you take a look at what the Packers have done over the last two years and over the last 30 years, they've been one of the most successful franchises in the NFL. They've won two Super Bowls. I know. Guess what? Defense wins championships, and that's why you sometimes address that side of things. And if Aaron Rodgers is upset about all those Packers players who left, you know what? At least he put names on it so we can evaluate those all on an individual-by-individual basis. But anyone who is playing a Sarah McLaughlin ad behind Aaron Rodgers as we talk about his 28-8 record over the last two years, please look at yourself in the mirror and ask why you are doing that for a quarterback who has been about as spoiled as spoiled can get. I don't get it. So I'm glad Aaron Rodgers said that because now all those people – have to shut up. That's going to do it for us. Want to thank Damian Lewis. Want to thank Jerry Depoto. Brock Heward for Blue 42. And of course, the professor, John Clayton, this morning. DJ Wilder. What does he do? He holds it down like gravity. And he is Paul Gallant. And he will take no guff. He will not He will not have it for your characterizations of Aaron Rodgers as, a, as someone deserving of your sympathy. No, because he, he's the one that even said he doesn't need it. He's the one that even said it. And he is Danny O'Neill, and like me, he is going to be waited with bated breath to see if Jerry DePoto is able to do something by tomorrow's DePote show, trade DePote deadline. Show. Yes, put on a DePote show, Jerry, please. And check out the podcast that we had with Jerry talking about the moves made earlier this week on the Danny and Gallant podcast. He is Danny O'Neill. I am Paul Gallant. So long. Farewell. It's just me next, and a question that I have for you. 
Two days later, do you feel any differently about the Kendall Graveman trade? We'll talk about that next.